You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanashevsky. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with your host, Natasha Stanishevsky. Happy New Year. I know it's a little bit late to say that. I realize it's February. However, I have not spoken to you since 2021, so I feel like it's still warranted to wish you all a happy new year. Hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks for joining us. I am excited to let you know about the new format for the podcast. Uh, my po- co-host last year, Al, is off to uh, do other things. We wish him all the best. So instead, it is going to be just me. Uh, not rambling for minutes and hours on end, thankfully for you. No, instead, we will continue to have some fabulous guests and hopefully keep doing some fabulous interviews. That has been my favorite part in all of this is getting to know some of these athletes and coaches and just people in the sporting world a little bit better and hearing all their stories. Everybody has a story, no matter who you are. And uh, we've had some great ones so far, and we have some great ones this week with our first guest of 2022. It has been uh, a few months in that I've been trying to get Canadian pro golfer Roger Sloan on the show. I first reached out to him in October and mostly because of my fault, we've had some trouble coordinating. I had to cancel a few times. My laptop broke down the day we were going to record, but finally the stars have aligned and I'm super excited to have him on. He is a great guy, great personality. He was on an episode of The Cut uh, where he does a fantastic job and he has been having a great season so far. He's in his fifth season on the PGA Tour. He is uh, or was born in Calgary, raised in Merritt, BC, and uh, is now living in Texas. He uh, just finished tied for 14th at the American Express. So he's trying to uh, gather a little bit of momentum off of that great finish. And so without further ado, here he is at long last Canadian pro golfer, Roger Sloan. Roger, I wasn't sure this was actually going to happen, but here you are. Welcome to the podcast. We did it. We got organized. We did. I was waiting all day for some type of excuse why we wouldn't be able to do it tonight. Well, okay. So to give our listeners some context, a context, we, I reached out to you in October is when I first, I thought it was November, but I was looking at our messages today and it was October. So it's taken us a while to get organized. Most of that was my fault. I feel I had to postpone a few times. No, let's be clear. It was all your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I get, yeah, it's except you were on vacation a little bit Christmas. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, it was, uh, when you were ready, I wasn't ready and yeah, then we had some computer issues and, but it was funny. We were just talking about the highways and driving around here in the mountains. So I was in Banff yesterday and I joked with you, the only way this isn't going to happen is if there's some sort of snowstorm and literally I'm driving this morning, you know how this goes, right? Like you turn the corner around one mountain and out of Canmore, it's like a blizzard for 30 minutes. I'm like white knuckled driving all the way. And I'm like, I got to get home for Roger. I got to get home. So yes, here I am. I'm glad we're doing this. Um, How are you? How's life? How's you're taking a little break? How are things going? Uh, You know, I'm doing great. Uh, You know, the new year has started. 2022 is upon us and uh, I've played a couple tournaments so far taking a couple of weeks off just to kind of gear there's so many golf tournaments about to come around the corner we got the players championship in march so just kind of being proactive in in um you know how many events we play leading up to some of these big events 
Right. Let's start at the beginning. Um, we were just talking, you were born in Calgary, raised in Merritt. Um, how, how many years did you spend in Calgary? Uh, not long. I think I was still in diapers when we moved. Okay. Um, I don't remember anything about the actual living in Calgary. I think I was maybe a year and a half when we moved. Um, my mom, she moved all over the place, uh, with my grandfather and, uh, ended up settling the later years in Calgary, um, or Airdrie actually. Okay. And, uh, my dad went to Sate and, uh, I guess they somehow, you know, met there and after marriage and they got a after it and had me pretty quick okay. uh, my dad needed to I guess my dad found a job opportunity out in uh, the southern Okanagan so you know when I was a year and a half we moved out there okay and so I was in BC ever since right so is that where you I guess that's where you got kind of your start in golf is that where where all the magic happened the magic began uh, funny story. So obviously like any, like most, uh, Canadian kids, you know, I dreamed of Stanley cups and gold medals. Um, so I played hockey. I mean, that was all I played. I remember growing up, we lived a lake was across the street. So in the wintertime, you just strap on your skates and just do laps and play hockey with all the, you know, the, all the other kids or whatnot, literally living like the Canadian dream, you know, that Canadian lifestyle you think about, um, and I believe it was when I was 10 years old, my dad decided to take um, the opportunity to own his own business in Merritt. And well, to prelude that in the, in the summer times, I'd play baseball. My dad's passion was baseball. So as a kid, I just in the summertime played baseball, wintertime played hockey. Um, and then when we moved to Merritt, Merritt didn't have an organized youth baseball program. So summertime didn't really have much going on. So in May, my birthday's in May, my dad bought me a set of golf clubs down the hill was the nine hole golf course. And he just, uh, you know, 150 buck membership. He's just like, Hey, just go hang out all there all summer. And, you know, we just started doing laps around there and gosh, you know, I was 16 hockey was still hockey was still what I was the best at. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, the hockey, I would say even to this day, hockey's still my passion. I love it. It's such a great sport. You know, I love the team aspect of it. But when I was 16, you know, you're getting ready to kind of ship off to go do some junior camps, um, you know, embark on, you think back at like 16 years old and you're about to go to these junior camps and go live in a foreign city and do that. Like that, you're so young. There's so much you don't know about life. You're not mature. But uh, I, for some reason, just chose, you know what? Um, I'm six foot two. I'm 140 pounds and some 18 year older is just going <laughs> to clean my clock. So, uh, how about I take golf maybe a little bit more seriously? Um, you know, I joke, but you know, there's something about golf that really always pulled at my strings. I think one of them was in the back, you know, I could put a four year college education in my back pocket pretty easily. You know, that's kind of the route you take. You play junior golf then you go to college, play your four years of college and then do whatever you want. So I knew that the, you know, it was a, a realistic um, opportunity to, you know, get four-year education paid for. So that was kind of the reasoning behind choosing golf. And then I just kind of really got good at it. And, you know, here I am today. So you, you left, cause you went to the States obviously for college golf, right? You went to Texas. That's a pretty big, and you were young at the time, right? Like we talk about hockey players leaving home when they were young, but that was a pretty big move for you. How did you end up going down there? Yeah. 18 years old. Um, 
culture shock. That's for yeah. sure. Like, uh, you know, I joke, you know, small town in Merritt, I'd never seen or talked to a Mexican in my life. And I go to El Paso and it's uh, 80% Hispanic. And uh, so, yeah, it was a culture shock, but man, you know, I, I thrived in, in it. I loved the environment, you know, uh, just El Paso was such a cool city. Um, I got the opportunity to go there. There was a Canadian coach at the time. His name was Rick Todd. He recruited a lot of Canadians, um, especially Western Canadian golfers to go play there. And some of the kids that I would look up to. So I remember when I was 16, 17, a couple of the guys that were a little bit older than me, Chris Barilla, James Allenby, um, Zach Kildebrand. Um, you know, these are the guys that, you know, I kind of looked up to and Rick kind of, he, he kind of found me kind of a crazy story, but you know, he found me and he offered me a scholarship for me. It was kind of a dream come true to, to go to university where some of the guys that I looked up to went to and, uh, so there's a nice little Canadian contingent made it, you made the transition a little bit easier for sure. You know, you had guys on your team that you could relate to watch hockey with that type of stuff. So, you know, and, and it was, it was great. It's where I met my wife too. So I'm super thankful for my time in, in El Paso. Can you expand on that crazy story about how your coach found you? Because I obviously did my research and I read it, but for people who are listening, who don't know it, can you get into it a little bit? Yeah. So the whole like process of, getting a golf scholarship as a Canadian golfer is quite daunting as a Canadian. You're not really aware of all of the universities that do exist in the United States. And so, you know, I'm 16, 17 and I'm like, okay, well, you got to send out some like letters to these coaches to let them know who you are, maybe send a video or something like that. So the only universities that I'm really aware of are, you know, your Florida's, your um, Oklahoma States, you know, um, USC, Oregon, I mean, like the big, big schools, Texas, like all these big schools that, you know, we, we hear of when we're watching maybe college football or whatnot, or, you know, some of the programs that have won golf national championships. So I send out my letters. They've obviously made their commitments for my graduating year. And they're, well, thanks for your interest. Unfortunately, we've already committed for our, our 2005 class. So I'm just getting no after no after no after no. And like I said, you know, a couple of the guys before, before me that I looked up to had gone to El Paso. So in the back of my mind, I was always like, man, I would love to go to El Paso, but I just, I don't want to send a letter because I don't, I don't know how much, how I would handle a rejection letter. Um, so I'm 17 years old. I'm playing the Canadian junior championship at Marine drive golf club in Vancouver. And it's the first round and I'm actually playing pretty good. I think I'm, I'm under par and I have the early first round lead of the golf tournament. And I'm on the seventh tee box. I can still remember it. And there's a nice big cedar hedge right around the, the tee box. And you, you hear the cedars rough, you know, ruffling around. And all of a sudden, out pops Rick Todd, the coach of UTEP. And I'm literally on the tee box. And, you know, it was next adjacent to the parking lot. They were just trying to find their way onto the golf course. They didn't realize that they would be interrupting play. Um, come to find out, what happened was there was another junior in my group that somebody had recommended Rick to come watch. And, you know, Rick always tells the story to me. It was pretty apparent after three holes. Um, you know, I watched you hit it way into the right trees. You walked in there, you grabbed your nine iron, you chipped it back in the middle of the fairway, you wedged it on the green, you made your putt for par. He said, you know, I saw how, you know, you didn't try to make any hero shots. You just, you knew what you needed to do and, and you went out and did it. And that was the type of player that I wanted on my team. And uh, so, you know, to go from a couple of days earlier and have no, no idea where you wanted to go to university to then going to the university you really wanted to go to is a pretty cool story. I love it. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. Obviously it worked out for you big time. Uh, so you've been down there for 17 years ish. 
Is that right? Whoa, is that it? Yeah, I guess uh, 16 and a half years. Yeah. Okay. What what do you miss about Canada? Oh, man. I miss... The two things I miss most, obviously, is the landscape. You know, growing up in British Columbia, Alberta, having the landscape, having just the the ability to go outdoors and, and enjoy... Canada, like enjoy Canada, you know, you know, whatever it is, eating dinner, having drinks, whatever it is on a patio late at night as it cools down in the summertime, um, ski hills, mountain biking, fishing. I mean, you name it, just Canada is just a, you know, it's just such a great country in that regard. And to the people, um, you know, just, I miss Canadian people. I just miss Canadians being Canadians, getting together, you know, whatever, talking hockey and John at each other because they cheer for the wrong hockey team, um, playing golf. I mean, Canadians love golf. It's just, you know, I do. I just, I just miss Canadians. They're, they're, they're nice people. And um, that's probably, you know, probably what I've missed the most. And obviously with the last, whatever, 24 months that, that we, what we've gone through, I haven't been able to experience much of Canada. So um, it's, it's been a tough time for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are all hoping things get back to normal sooner rather than later for sure. Uh, so what what was the grind like for you trying to sort of make the big time? I know players you can go up and down kind of between the the Corn Ferry and the PGA Tour. What? How tough is that? I could I could see how that would definitely be a grind, but I think I've got a pretty good perspective on it in the sense that you know I'm just challenging myself to be the best that I can be, no matter what level that that is, whether it's the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour. Or, even if you're on PGA tour Canada, or maybe you have to go over and play in Europe. Um, it's just, you know, what opportunities do we have in front of us and, you know, use that challenge to, to see how good I can be. Um, just kind of more, just more controlling what I can control rather than everything else. So, um, definitely a little bit of a journeyman career for sure. Um, you know, definitely come out of the blocks like some of these phenoms did, but, you know, I just I challenge myself every single day when I wake up, just be better than I was yesterday. Um, and I do. I take baby steps. That's who I am. So I get a little bit better and a little bit better every single day. But I can look myself in the mirror every year and say I'm a little bit better player than I was last year. Um, and that's really all I'm focused on is just improving myself day to day. In August, you had to finish 19th at the Wyndham Championship to keep your tour card. You ended up in that six-man playoff, came oh so close to winning the whole thing. Um, did you learn anything about yourself in that moment? I learned how to win on the PGA Tour in that moment. Even though I didn't win, I learned how – I kind of – like I joke with my caddy, it's almost like I um, accidentally stumbled upon the winning formula. Um, and – so I'll kind of elaborate on that. Please. You mentioned I needed, I needed to finish 19th to keep my tour card. And, you know, you got to play good on the PGA Tour to finish in the top 20. Um, and obviously it's a solo 19th, and the chances of finishing solo 19th are obviously a lot lower. So I knew it was going to have to be like the 15 and higher. You know, you needed a T15 and, or higher. I knew I was playing good, but at the same time, the whole week, you know, it's just this massive elephant in the room, right? It's just like, okay, you <laughs> right. just know what you have to do. Um, and the pressure's building and, you know, I just kind of, I remember talking with my wife and, you know, do we, do I figure out the number? Do I not figure out the number? You know, and then obviously you got some obnoxious friends that text you, Hey, they just tweeted that you need to finish 19th. I'm like, Oh, thanks. I guess I know now. Right. 
Um, and I just remember, you know, my wife and I sitting there one evening and she just looks at me, and she says, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like you, you got 150, you're 126 to 150 status locked up. That's going to give you a handful of starts next year. And um, you can even, even if you don't make it, you go back to the Corn Ferry Tour finals, you're playing really good and you get your tour card back that way. Or, you know, there's just so many different unknowns and, un, you know, things that you're just, you don't know how everything plays out. So what just put it all out there and don't worry about it. And so that was kind of our motto for the week. And so the first nine holes I played on Thursday, man, was I nervous. I was so nervous. It was, I was apprehensive. It was like, I didn't, I just, I was trying to be too careful. I didn't want to make a mistake. And I mean, I, I had like four, so I was three over par through 11 holes and I had made like four incredible up and downs in those 11 holes. So it was just disaster. I was a train wreck. And at that point I'm three over par and I'm like, all right, well, I got nothing to lose. Now I relaxed and I started playing some really good golf, just playing, you know, golf my way. And fast forward to the fourth round, we put ourselves in a really good position. You know, I think I was T six going into that round. So I knew that if I shot under par that day, I was probably getting the job done and securing my PGA tour card. Um, and I remember on the back nine, I was on the 13th. Um, I was on the 14th tee box, probably the most demanding hole of the, of the, of the golf course. And I kind of vaguely saw a scoreboard and, you know, I think I was at, uh, what would I, what would I have been at? I think 13 under par. And I saw that 11 under par was, was kind of the number. And I'm like, man, okay, well, if I make two more bogeys, I might not be keeping my card. And in the same breath, I'm like, if I make two more birdies, I might win the golf tournament. And I was like, there's so much to think about right now. Yeah. So overwhelming in a sense that I was just like, the only thing right now that I can actually control is just my next shot. And the next six, the next five holes that I played were just absolutely flawless. I never missed a single shot. I actually played well the entire day. You know, I ended up birdieing 16, 17 and getting ourselves in a playoff there. But it was just kind of in that moment, I kind of stumbled upon the winning formula in the sense that there's so much going on. There's so many things that you cannot control that the only thing you can control is the next shot. And I know that sounds super cliche and it's something that, that I work on all the time. It's, this isn't a new concept, but I actually was able to like feel it and, and live that moment and really understand what that is all about. And no amount of practice can prepare you for that situation. So to kind of stumble upon that was like, wow, that's cool. So no, you can't win every single week on the PGA tour, but I definitely know now that, you know, the next time I'm in that situation, I know how to handle it. And, you know, we can, you know, come out, come out with a trophy next time. Because it, yeah, it doesn't even sound like you were nervous really in the playoffs. Like it sounds like that opening nine holes on Thursday was way worse than being in the actual playoff. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that weird? Like yeah. you would think you'd be super nervous because now you have a chance to win the tournament. I, you know, I was just joking that that playoff was absolute madness. It was chaos. You have six, six players, six caddies, you have three rules yeah. officials, you have a bunch of executives from Wyndham that are also there. So, I mean, you look at it, it, it looked like a traditional member guest where you just had so many people on a hole. It was it was a zoo, but, um, I remember I was in that moment, I was so present and I was looking around at all the other players and you could tell how much it meant. Like Kevin, Na was super fidgety, right? He was, you could tell like he really, really wanted it. Kisner, he was calm and collect, but he was super serious. He was, you know, it was, I, you know, I got to do this. And a couple of the other guys, you know, they were just, they were locked in and, you know, trying to do that. Whereas me, I was actually my, the most relaxed I'd been all week in that moment. Um, and I, 
And as a result, I, I actually think I've played the two playoff holes better than anybody else. You know, I hit a really good shot in there in the first hole. Adam Scott hit it in closer, unfortunately missed the putt. We both missed the putt. Yeah. But, you know, and then I, I had a chance. I hit the green on the on the second hole and had another good look to, to make a birdie. Um, and I was just – I was relaxed. I was in the present, and I was just, you know, enjoying my time, of the, you know, in there. So it was kind of cool to, like I said, kind of accidentally stumble upon – how to how to play really well so we've been able to carry some of that momentum here into the start of this season right can you um i guess the question is is there do you feel like a, a camaraderie but amongst the the canadian golfers like there's so many of you guys now it seems like every weekend every event it's you or nick taylor or adam hadwin or Corey connors or whoever somebody is like always in the mix obviously you want to win but are you kind of always silently cheering some of these guys on no, because they all cheer for the wrong hockey team. So I don't <laughs> oh, okay. We'll get to the hockey teams later, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, to your point, yes. I mean, it's so great. Like like I said, or sorry, like you said, at the Wyndham Championship, I was in a playoff. A couple of the guys stick around, you know. Um, Adam Hadman had a great finish. He was just a couple of groups ahead of me on Sunday, so he stuck around, showed his support. Um, you know, Gliggs was standing around. A couple of the other Canadian caddies are, are there, too. Um you know, obviously some guys have travel plans. They got to get out of there. But at the end of the day, you know, if you've got a Canadian buddy playing well, you're going to, you're going to stick around and support. And um, it's, it's nice. It's nice having a lot of those Canadian guys, you know, somebody you can relate to talk hockey to. We play a lot of practice rounds with them. Mackenzie Hughes has a, you know, his little, his little guys, the same age as my oldest daughter. And, you know, they have two kids. Now we got two kids. We hang out with them quite a bit. Um, so it's just, it's just nice. It's nice, you know, seeing some familiar faces out there all the time. And I think it's great for Canadian golf because I remember when I was growing up, we just had two or three guys. And, you know, now for the youngsters to see eight, nine, sometimes 10, 10 Canadians in a field. I mean, it just shows that Canadian golf is, is strong. It's growing. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get some more major championships out of guys soon. How do you feel your game is right now? You just came off uh, the American Express, I believe, tied for 14th. How are you feeling about things? Uh, no, like I'm building off of some of the lessons that I learned last year. And like I said, just trying to get better. So, um, you know, I think things are coming together really nicely. And I think I'm going to start having a little bit more consistency on the PGA tour and um, what that translates into. I'm not sure, but you know, I know, I know deep in my heart that if I can just be the best that I can be, we can do some really cool things. So, you know, I'm just working towards that and just, like I said, just trying to grow and, uh, it, you know, I'm just seeing little things, just kind of another piece of the puzzle start, you know, putting together. And I'm at that point where you can really see the big, the big picture of what you're building. So it's, it's really exciting for me. Um, you know, it's been a long time, a lot of hard work and it's been a lengthy process, but you know, it's kind of, to me, like it's, it's like bamboo, right? You, bamboo, does it take five years or or six months to grow because it takes four and a half years for it to sprout and six months to, to shoot up 30 feet. So, you know, just putting in the work, just watering it, watering it, watering it. And uh, I think I'm starting to kind of break ground here and, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but it's going to be a fun ride. Are you playing in the waste management? Is that next for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to play, it's going to be the start of three in a row Phoenix and then I'll play Riviera for the Genesis and then I'll go to the Honda in Florida. So those are three really good golf courses for us. And I wouldn't miss that gong show of a tournament in Phoenix. Okay. That's, that's where I'm going to get this question. Do you, do you love the gong show or I, it sounds like you do from the smile on your face. You like all the fans and all the action. 
I do. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why I do it. You know, we're entertainers. We're here to put on a show. People want to people want to see us hit great golf shots. And I mean, what better venue than Phoenix? Um, it's going to be the closest thing that I ever get to to playing in an NHL rink. So um, when you got 30,000 crazies um, just screaming and hollering for you to hit a shot close and boo you when you miss the green, it's, it's a pretty cool environment. Get your blood pumping. Uh, it's 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 pretty neat. Um, I saw your episode, uh, on the cut it's called, right? Do I have that right? Yeah. The cut? Yeah. yeah. The cut. Yeah. It used to be, uh, inside the PJ tour. They rebranded it. The okay. cut. So how did that come about? And did you, was it fun? Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. It was nice. They did, you know, they wanted to choose a player that hadn't had a spotlight, um, in quite some time. And, you know, so they chose me they asked me like, Hey, what do you want to do? Um, I think one thing, like, I wanted to showcase a little bit of the wine. I wanted to showcase my club that has an incredible wine cellar. But at the same time, we also wanted to showcase a little bit of the, like the normal family life that we lead when we're at home. Mm -hmm. You know, I I feel like sometimes sports athletes can be glorified a little bit too much with their glamorous lifestyle, their fancy cars and their big houses. And, um, you know, we, we live in a, it's a spectacular house, but it's modest, um, you know, for the Texas area and we have a great neighborhood and we just love hanging out with the kids and, um, you know, it's, it, it's more about that quality time with the kids when we're home and spending time with the, the neighbors and, um, you know, really investing in people and relationships. And, you know, that's kind of who we are. And we wanted to showcase that a little bit. And, you know, then we got the opportunity, obviously, to showcase a little bit of the wine, which kind of has been a little bit of a new hobby for me. And that was cool to kind of get in the cellar and, and uh, open up some good juice. Yeah, I thought it was a great sort of behind the scenes look at you and your family and the wine. That was that was I didn't see that coming. Where did you where did you get that love for wine? Where did that come from? Um, man, I don't know. Like, I guess I want to act sophisticated, you know, so I want to got to got to sip wine to be sophisticated. Um, I don't know. And, you know, what's what's really interesting is I actually really don't drink alcohol that much. Um, I actually rarely ever drink alcohol. I'll have a beer now and again with some of the guys. But other than that, I don't really drink much. But I started um, every time we would go to Napa for a Napa event, you know, you do a couple tastings and you kind of had a different sense of different things. And then through some of the friends and relationships that we've built, either through our club here in Houston, which is wine eccentric, they love it. And the relationship, like I said, in Napa, I've kind of just been getting into it from more of a, um, an affinity for like quality winemaking and, um, you know, really expanding my palate and testing new things. Uh, and just, you know, man, it's, 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 it's a deep, dark rabbit hole, but it's something that I kind of enjoy doing. And I think the thing that really I enjoy the most about wine is wine brings people together. You know, it's a great opportunity to, you know, Hey, we got a cool bottle, get five or six people together and just, you know, and then hours later, you've had great conversation. You've gotten to know some people a little bit better. And that, I think that's what I love most about wine is it's just a, it's an opportunity to bring people together. Right. So have you had the chance, cause you probably don't spend a ton of time in BC anymore. Have you had the chance to go to some of the wineries there? Because they, there are some fantastic wineries, obviously you probably know. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, I'm a huge advocate for the Okanagan wine scene anywhere I go, yes. whether it's Napa or here in Texas. Um, but yeah, like my, like I would say expanded wine knowledge hasn't happened until like the last 18 months or maybe two years. So no, I haven't been able to go to those, a lot of the wineries 
just in the last couple of years, but, you know, I'm excited to go there because there are a number of places that are popping up that are producing some really good wines. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's definitely on the bucket list to go through there and, you know, build some relationships in, in the Okanagan that's close to home. Okay. Give me a recommendation because I did dry January. So no alcohol this month. Today is the last day. So tomorrow, if I want it, I can have a glass of alcohol. So what, if I was going to have a glass of wine, what would you recommend? What do you like? Well, favorite? so what is your palate kind of like go towards? Are you reds? Are you whites? I like both, but I usually gravitate toward red and I'm usually like, I am not sophisticated at all. Like I just, any Cabernet Sauvignon is usually what I go towards, but I yeah. don't know if things are sweet or dry or, or any of that. Yeah. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge, I love cab sobs. I like the big, the bold, uh, the dry. Um, so I don't know too many Canadian stuff right now. I don't know how much you get in, in, uh, in Canada. Like how, how easy is it to get like a Napa or like French? I have have a few friends who I think could hook me up. I have a few friends that are pretty into wine. Yeah. They do some crazy ordering from all over the place. So I bet you I could, I could get something. Yeah. So my favorite is produced by a friend of mine. Um, so Beret family wine, um, uh, so Val Bure, who used to play for the, um, well, played for the Montreal Canadiens and played for the Calgary Flames. So he's been a good friend of mine and he's producing, uh, Bure family, some absolutely phenomenal, um, wine right now. Uh, he's been, you know, he's been hard at it for years and he is, he's seeing the fruits of his labor come, come to right now. He's got some really good stuff. Um, sneaky. So, Okay. I don't necessarily have any particular bottles that I would recommend other than beret beret is my, is my favorite right now, but particular regions within Napa. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely gravitate towards Howell mountain a little bit. It's got a little bit more minerality in the grapes. Um, so you get a little bit more, a little bit more texture that comes to you when you're drinking it. And then if you get anything from the Tokalon vineyard, you're probably drinking some really good stuff. So okay. those are, those are my recommendations. How anything from Howell mountain, or Beckstaff or Tokalon or, uh, or Beret, and you're going to be having a good night. You sound like a real expert right now, by the way. <laughs> I know. I'm very impressed. I'm really not that big of an expert, but, uh, you know, as it's been developing, you know, you just kind of hit some, hit some soft spots for the, for the good stuff. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, Val, you just mentioned Valerie Burry was on the cut with you. You've brought up hockey a couple of times, so clearly you're still a hockey fan. So who's your, are the Flames your team or are you Canucks fan? No, I'm Flames fan. Yeah. Um, Jerome McGinley was always my favorite player growing up and obviously being born in Calgary and having a connection with there, you know, kind of always been a Flames fan. So, um, you know, I do, I'm a guy, I'll admit it. I cheer for all the Canadian teams, many Canadian teams in the finals. Um, well, man, it would be tough to cheer for the Oilers, but if they were, you know, you got, I would love to see the cup return to Canada, but, um, yeah, we cheer on the Flames every, uh, every time they play. Do you, do you get a chance to see all the games down there? Um, you know, I'll, no, I mean, I, yeah, well, like on TV and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. they've subscribed to like ESPN plus just did it. It's actually really nice. They just did a deal with ESPN plus. So I get to watch all the games on my phone or whenever, you know, the kids aren't crazy. Right. Do you get a chance to play anymore? So secretly? Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah. I actually know. I played in a men's league here in Houston, which is actually really good hockey because there's so many transplant Canadians within like the oil and gas industry here. Right. And especially like, you know, people from 
the Northeast or even the Midwest that grew up playing hockey. So the hockey is actually pretty good here in Houston. I have not played in the last three years though. So since I've been like really full go in the PGA tour, there's a few, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's men's hockey guys. There's a few guys that take it a little bit too seriously and always, uh, always, always, you know, and it's just like, man, I, <laughs> if I had a desk job, yeah, I would be there every week, but you know, it's not worth it to have some guy do something stupid to you and I can't swing a golf club the next week. So, yeah. Well, hopefully your flames do well. I mean, they look really good so far. Looks like they can put together a decent playoff run if they keep going. Yeah. You know what I like about them is defensively, they're really good. And I think that's the type of team that you need when it comes to the playoff time and when the games get a little bit, um, you know, tighter, uh, you know, obviously COVID kind of hit them hard or, you know, they were just kind of getting into their stride. So I think yeah. they'll, they'll bounce back. They got a lot of games in a row now between now and the end of the season, but, um, I think come playoff time, you know, their defensive play is definitely going to be an advantage. Will help them and their goaltending for sure. Um, Okay. I got a couple more for you and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, For somebody like me, who's been golfing for seven years now, finally broke a hundred. Congrats. Last season, which was like a big, big monkey off my back. Um, Any tips for a person like me? Uh, very open-ended question i realized that but what, where's your strengths where the, where's your weaknesses short game short yeah. game is my weakness of course well this is like it's a it's the golf conundrum i mean how many people as soon as they get to the golf course straight to the driving range i'm gonna hit like six nine irons and then i'm gonna rip driver right yep. it's like I, it's great for me. I'm, I'm, I'm my club and I go to the chipping green and I got it all to myself because nobody ever comes and works on their chipping. Right. So, uh, yeah, short game. I, you know, I got a buddy of mine. He's kind of in the same boat. He's just started playing golf for a couple of years now. He's into the nineties, but now he really wants to get into the eighties. Um, so he just started, you know, getting into the nineties, but basically I was just like, like try to hit five greens in regulation. Right. And then after that, the biggest thing is on your first chip, make sure you hit the green. That's it. Don't worry about where the pin is. Cause if you think about your short game, right? Like how many times do you maybe get up to the green in three or four shots, whatever it is. And then it takes you another three or four to get onto the green. Right. Uh, yes, exactly. And it's like, well, you're trying to hit it close and then you decelerate or you want It's like, Hey, like eliminate the pin, just get it onto the green. So you're eliminating, you're going to eliminate eight strokes right there at the end of the day by just chipping it onto the green. It has don't even worry about where the pin is. Right. Once you get that confidence of chipping it onto the green or into the middle of the green on your first chip, then we can, then we can work on precision and getting it close to the pin. But what you want to do is you want to eliminate the fact that it takes you two or three chips to get it onto the green. Does that make sense? It does, but you haven't seen my putting. (laughs) So, (laughs) So in theory, I like your tip that it makes sense. I know what you're saying. Yeah. But I got to. I did watch it. I did watch a video of you doing um, something on Instagram, a little putting thing at one of the golf courses there in um, in Calgary. It wasn't, it wasn't live though, right? It was probably like an an, an 80th. Yeah, they, they made you look like a scratch scratch putter. Exactly, that is the magic of TV right there. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna remember that tip though. That's a good one. Um, okay, my final question for you: Do you have a favorite Canadian golf course? Tobiano. Okay. Everybody, so many people say that I haven't played there yet, but so many people mentioned that one to me. Yeah. And it's to the point where I think if I only had one round left, that's probably the round that I would 
that I would choose to play. Um, you know, it's obviously not a golf course that's ever going to compete with your pine valleys and your pebble beaches and your Cypress point and all those wonderful places. But the thing I like about Tobiano is that it's unique to itself. It's such a interesting design with all the, you know, the clay hoodoos that they got there on the bluff of the lake. Um, fantastic layout. Thomas McBroom did a wonderful job with it. Mm -hmm. uh, the course maintenance is incredible. You're always getting very good conditions every single time you play it. Um, you know, I just, and then I got married there too. So that, oh, that no, there you go. There's, yeah, there's a little sentiment there on the 15th tee. So it's a, it's a cool place. I got to spend the first four years of my professional career practicing out of there all the time. So I got to play out there quite a bit when it first opened and, um, it's just, it is, it's, it's a very awesome place. And I would recommend it to anybody that is ever in that area trying to play golf. Amazing. Do you have a course uh, on your bucket list that you've yet to play that you would love to play anywhere in the world? Uh, hmm. It's interesting you say that because like, because I play golf for a living, like going and playing recreational golf doesn't really like ever pique my interest, you know, cause it's like, all right, I'm done playing golf. I just want to go home and just do nothing. And then mm. when I'm at home, I just want to stay home and practice at my own golf course. Um, you know, I've always wanted to play Pine Valley. Um, I would say that's probably the only golf course that I'm like, literally would like, I just want to say that I've played Pine Valley, but more than that, like anybody that knows me, I think what I want more is just to have a really good game with like three or four other guys in a group. Um, it doesn't really matter where we play, whether we play the, you know, Muni nine hole track or whatever. I just want to have a good time with, you know, three or four other guys and um, or girls for that matter, like, and just have a good time and, you know, play for a couple bucks and, you know, have a drink afterwards and, you know, just enjoy our time together. That that's what I love about golf. That's why I really, really love about golf. So that's to me is more important than playing any specific golf course. Awesome. Well said. I love the social aspect too. It's yeah. Playing golf is one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to start playing. There's so many great things about it. Yeah. And it's so, you know, it, it, it pains me because so many people that, you know, are in our stage of life are like, Oh man, I wish I had started earlier. And you're like, Oh mm. yeah, it's, yes. it's, you know, I wish I had played it in high school or whatnot and had a little bit more um, introduction earlier in life because it is like, you know, if you think, about it like it's it's such a great recreational sport because you can play it from the age of 12 to the you know or even earlier all the way to your 90 years old you know how many other sports like that it's not like you and I can go and just pick up a football and play a game of football you know when we're 45 or whatever so it's it's totally. it's unique in that sense and the other aspect that I like about it is that you and I can go play together right exactly. it's not like you can go have a game with Serena Williams and tennis, right? Like it's just mm -hmm. not going to be fun for her. It's not going to be fun for you, but you and I can go play golf together. We can enjoy the golf course. Um, you're probably going to, you, you're probably going to need a lot of strokes on me. So you're probably going <laughs> to end up winning <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you your 15 bucks at the end of the day and then we'll go have a drink and you'll pay. And you know, that's, what's fun about it. That's, that's really what I really love about golf. Well, whenever you get back to Canada, you'll have to come back and play some of these courses in the mountains here. Have you played any of the ones out here, Stewart Creek or Kananaskis or anything? Played, um, I believe Stewart Creek is actually the only one I haven't played. Played Kananaskis, played Canmore. Um, what's the other one? Uh, Silvertip, played that one. Uh, yeah, but I still remember my first ever trip, father-son tournament or trip to uh, 
Kananaskis, you know, we played the Mount Kidd course and uh, just, I mean, what a spectacular setting there and backdrops of the mountains, yeah. what a fantastic place. And you, know, you remember times like that. I think I was probably only 12 or 13 years old when that happened, but you know, memories for a lifetime. I was going to say one of the reasons I love golf is because it's something I can do with my dad and my brother now and didn't have a whole lot I could do with them before. So it's awesome yeah. to have those moments. Yeah. But that kind of family time. So I get yeah. it. Um, thank you for this. It has been awesome talking golf and everything else. I'm so glad we finally made it happen. Yeah, I was actually, well, I'm a little disappointed we didn't get into any of that banana zucchini bread that you made. Yes. A ago. Are you a foodie as well? On top of being a sommelier? I'm kind of getting into it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Like a baker or a chef or because you're right. I mean, what was the Oh, the banana zucchini loaf. Yeah. I think this was in October when you had first reached out and then you made, yeah. I love banana bread. I love it. And then you made banana zucchini bread and I was like, okay, it's interesting. I've never had banana zucchini bread, but it would probably be pretty good. Yeah. It's not bad. It's okay. I mean, I, I prefer the two separately, but it, yeah, it was, it was fine. And then you went on your beat bench. Was that last week? That was last week. Yeah. I have basically a whole tray in my freezer of beet brownies <laughs> because I can't, I have no one to give it to right now. Right. I make all this stuff now. I need to find, I need to find more friends in Calgary because I don't know a heck of a lot of people out here. So the baking's taken a bit of a, a hit just because I don't have a lot of people to give it to and I don't want to eat it all, but I kind of love experimenting. So, yeah, no, it is. Yeah. It's cool. I like, I'm in that point of life too, where I'm kind of like, I want to kind of put a garden in the backyard and start growing some of my own like produce and fruit um, just to have a little bit more control over, you know, what you kind of put in your body a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of, I'm kind of just I'm starting on that. It's just more curiosity right now. of just kind of, going a little bit more natural in certain areas. So again, just that's probably the power of social media pushing me in some direction that <laughs> wouldn't otherwise have gone into, but, you know, just, just kind of learning, you know, just trying to figure out what's best for a body going forward. Are you pretty heavy into like, do you have a strict kind of regimen that you follow? No. Nope. <laughs> okay. Um, like I have a, I have a baseline, like I work with a nutritionist and so we work on uh, like essentials that I need in order to function properly on a golf course, you know, so I'm making sure that I'm getting my amino acids from my joint health. I'm making sure that I'm getting proper fats so that my brain stays, you know, my brain doesn't cramp or whatever that is well nutrition. So, you know, there's certain things when I'm on the road, I'm pr pretty particular about what I eat. But again, like if someone puts ice cream in front of me, I'm not mm -hmm. saying no to it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you just make sure that you get proper amount of protein and veggies and making sure that and since I've done that, it's it's been remarkable how much inflation, um, inflation, inflammation, <laughs> um, inflation is going up, but inflammation is going down. Um, so, uh, yeah, just my inflammation has gone down just by, you know, and, and not doing anything crazy, but just making sure that I'm getting, you know, the essentials down pat. Um, okay. And then when you do, when you tend to get the essentials down pat, you, you have a little less room for those nasty stuff that you should be saying no to. Right, right, right. That's kind of where I'm at. You see, I feel like you have a pretty good perspective on it all. Like you're pretty balanced about this whole golf career of yours. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, accurate? Yeah. I, I try not to be too extreme on anything. I always kind of weigh everything. Like you said, weigh the good, weigh the bad you know, everything, everybody can take anything to the extreme. So you just kind of, mm -hmm. 
I think it's important to kind of pick and choose for you what's what's important to you. Really know yourself, right? Self-awareness is, um, you know, it's, it's huge. So self-awareness in of itself is curative. So there's yeah. a quote. There's a quote for you, but um, yeah, I just, I, I got balanced, I guess. I like that. Did having kids change things at all for you? Uh, I don't think so. Um, obviously change. Yeah. Having kids does change certain things. Definitely puts things in some areas of your life into perspective. Um, but I don't, I've always kind of been, I've always, I've always been really in, um, intrigued and challenged myself to, to build good character. Right. And so that, you know, that character then helps you make proper decisions in all areas of your life. So whether it's nutrition or finance or playing golf or whatever it is. So I think, you know, really just finding, you know, what it means to build and have good character really kind of, that's the person that you take around all over the place. That's the person that you take to every decision that you make. So that to me is something that's very important to me. Amazing. All right. I think, uh, I think we're going to, we're going to leave it right there. That's a perfect spot to end. Thank you again so much for doing this. Uh, I will be keeping an eye on you as I'm sure many Canadians will the rest of the way. Uh, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you. Um, appreciate it. And thanks for having me on the show. We will do this again. Yes, we will. Sometime in down three, the road. Like probably three or four years. <laughs> when you win your first, uh, first big event, how about that? When you win, when you win a major. Okay. So, all right. Okay. Sounds good. So like June or July. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. Okay. Thanks Roger. Good luck. Cool. Thank you. You're listening to the, Oh, come on sports podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Come on.